Matt Schaff and Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com here to preview week eight of fantasy football. We have some key quarterback injuries to go over today. We've got some updates to wide receiver usage and performance, maybe a sneaky trade target or two. We'll see as we move through the lineup here, Jared. But the first thing I think we need to talk about is the 49ers who might be without Brock Purdy this week. We just found out yesterday that he's in the concussion protocol had symptoms pop up on the flight back from Minnesota. Uh, apparently, you know, happened sometime during the game. He did not leave that game, but the timing of it makes it seem unlikely to play this week. Now the 49ers aren't ruling him out. The last I read is that they're optimistic because he was already feeling better the day after entering the protocol. We're going to see how he progresses through the week as we record this. We don't know yet whether he's practicing on Thursday or whether he has progressed further. So I guess what we're doing right now is figuring out what it will mean if the 49ers don't have Brock Purdy this weekend. Yeah, and I think we should assume we're not going to have Brock Purdy because that was a Monday night game. We've seen very, very few players play the week following a concussion, even with a you know full seven days off. So I think we should assume it's going to be Sam Darnold. And you know, if it's Sam Darnold, how much do you trust this Kyle Shanahan scheme to you know make Sam Darnold serviceable? I think we know what Sam Darnold is at this point. Darnold will have good games on occasion which is nice, right? It's not like he's always bad, but he, you know, the floor is also super low, but again, this Kyle Shanahan scheme, like I always think back to, to, you know, Nick Mullins who looked really good in this offense and has done nothing since. So to me, I think Darnold is only an option in super flex leagues, but I think especially with Debo Samuel out again, that, you know, Brandon Ayuk and, and George Kittle are guys you can continue to trust in fantasy lineups just because the, the, you know, target share should be there for them with no Debo. And again, you just have to trust Shanahan to, you know, scheme those guys open enough where even, you know, Sam Darnold can, can get the ball to him. I would not put Sam Darnold right into wherever Brock Purdy would be in the quarterback rankings this week. But like you were saying, I also wouldn't downgrade the others in the offense for the switch from Brock Purdy to Sam Darnold. And frankly, I think that unless you rank Sam Darnold like 14th or higher, I think he's got a pretty good chance of outscoring wherever you have him in the rankings this week. Now, what that means for who you might start him over as you get past like QB 16. And this is a week where we have Desmond Ritter somewhere in that range. Like if you say, I want to start Sam Darnold over Desmond Ritter, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I'd say anywhere from about there down. Yep. If you want to take a shot on Sam Darnold, that's cool. The answer is we don't know what he's going to do. But like you just said, we do know that quarterbacks tend to do pretty well in the San Francisco offense. Nick Mullins did it. C.J. Beathard gave us usable games. Jimmy Garoppolo was like near the top of the league in yards per attempt. It's not because Jimmy Garoppolo is awesome. It's because he did what Kyle Shanahan needed him to in an offense that's set up to make those quarterbacks efficient. Now, Jared, one thing that I thought was interesting looking at Brock Purdy versus Sam Darnold here, Brock Purdy hasn't been amazing, but he's been good for the system. He's been efficient and that's why it's been working in the fantasy points, data accuracy rate category. However, Brock Purdy ranks just 24th among multi-game starters this year at 46.1%. That's basically how many of your throws versus the total are highly accurate. Like you're putting it exactly where the pass catcher needs it to be. So he's 24th among multi-game starters. Last year, Sam Darnold was at 46.4%. That's slightly higher than Brock Purdy's 46.1% this year. If you look back a year earlier, Sam Darnold was at 53%. Last year, as a first-time starter, Brock Purdy was at 47.6%. So just in that particular measure, there's a chance that 
there's really no difference in terms of how yeah. the passing is done between these guys for an individual game. Another measure, which I just read in the athletic earlier today pointed to EPA per drop back for Brock Purdy leads all quarterbacks in that category this year, ranked fifth among quarterbacks during his starting stretch last season in EPA per drop back. Sam Darnold over the same stretch last year in the Carolina lineup was third among quarterbacks in EPA per drop back behind only Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. So am I saying that Sam Darnold is as good as Brock Purdy? No. Am I saying that in all game, can Sam Darnold do as well as Brock Purdy would passing? Yeah, that's definitely yeah. possible. Yeah, I think can he do as well in, in a game is definitely possible. I think there's all again, there's also a chance he he implodes. You know, I, I think I would assume if you look at those on target rates week by week for Darnold, they're all over the map. That's you know, I think that's the type of player he is. I will say Darnold can run a little bit. You know, he, he runs a lot more than Brock Purdy. You look at his numbers in Carolina last year. He did quite a bit of running. I do think, you know, not having Debo hurts. The other note here I have is, you know, Cincinnati's 27th in run defense DVOA. They're 11th in pass defense DVOA. So, you know, the, the Niners have already been a run leading offense. I would expect them to lean further toward the run with Darnold under center and in this matchup against the Bengals. Yeah, I'm honestly not sure how much further they can lean, though, reasonably. <laughs> so I guess we'll see. Maybe we get a few more carries for not Christian McCaffrey. But if the dude's going to handle all but one carry with an oblique injury, we certainly can't <laughs> bet on meaningful work going to Elijah Mitchell or anybody else. There are a couple other key injuries to watch this week on the quarterback front. Jalen Hurts is dealing with something. And Nick Sirianni is at least to the point where he's like, hey, if Jalen Hurts can't go, we believe in Marcus Mariota. And you never like to hear that. Well, Hurts isn't even on the week eight injury report. So I think Siriano is being a bit dramatic there. I mean, Hurts did look hobbled, probably too strong, but he looked a bit limited as a runner. That One of those runs, you know, he got out to the pockets to the left and seemed to be limping as he was kind of, you know, scrambling for, for a few yards. So the rushing for Hurts might be limited this week, but he's, he, he's going to play and you know he'll, he'll get it done passing wise against that Washington secondary. TJ Hawkinson also missed practice Wednesday. So we're waiting to see on his foot, but he played through it in Monday night's game. So fingers crossed that he plays there. I, I have one team where I just picked up Dalton Kincaid, but obviously I would have to start him tonight, mm. not knowing anything beyond the Wednesday and Thursday participation for TJ Hawkinson. I think I'm probably leaning toward waiting for Hawkinson there. What do you think? Yeah. Hawkinson did come back to uh, Monday night's game after hurting that foot. We'll get the Thursday report. If he's out again Thursday, it, you know, it gets trickier. We'll see. I mean, geez, the injury report yesterday was uh, as long as it's been all season, which I guess is what you get when we're in week eight and the NFL decides to give us no teams on by. And probably the biggest name on that injury report is Tyreek Hill, who's got a hip issue. And the word from his quarterback was <laughs> somewhere down the line, we'll get him back. What do you make of this situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm worried. I didn't see Hill get you know, banged up in uh, last week's game. So it was surprising to see him uh, as a you know DN DNP and Wednesday. But yeah, Tua, you know, it's kind of ominous with his quotes. Jalen Waddle wouldn't say for sure that Hill's going to play this weekend. So it seems like there's a real chance that Hill doesn't play. Then, of course, Waddle is dealing with the back injury as well. So um, we'll get we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Tua in, in, in a bit here. Yes, I believe we will. I think it's worth noting while we're talking about um, talking to the media, you know, we have no idea how they're coached behind the scenes to talk about stuff like this. It could be that Mike McDaniel's like, hey, guys, don't give away anything on Tyreek Hill here. Um, and it's also possible that Tua is just awkward in front of the camera. Every time I've seen him interviewed, he's clearly not that comfy being interviewed. And guys tend to fall back on cliches and somewhere down the line could mean Anytime. It doesn't necessarily mean yep. he's getting ready to play without him this week and expecting him to come back in a while. So if you want to see 
what replacement options are available for any players that you may or may not have available for you this weekend. If you play in super flex leagues, you want to check for Sam Darnold or even Marcus Mariota right now, go to your free agent finder, update all rosters with the button at the top, and then enter a player into that cross league finder that will immediately show you where he is available or not across all of the leagues that you have synced on DraftSharks.com. Immense time saver. I know I will be doing some more of that this afternoon. I've already been checking on some of these players this morning, Jared, but big help to setting your team and setting your lineups every week throughout the season. One team that definitely will not have its quarterback this week is Tennessee because Ryan Tannehill is dealing with a high ankle sprain. And that means we're probably going to get the first ever start for Will Levis. What does that mean for the Titans and fantasy anywhere? Well, the Titans have a 16.25 point implied total this week, which is the lowest on the week. And, you know, and they're playing Atlanta and Atlanta's defense is better this season, but it's, you know, league average at best. So it just tells you kind of what uh, the, the line makers feel about this Titans offense. I do think, you know, maybe this sounds stupid. I do think Will Levis is better for the offense than Malik Willis would have been I mean, Willis just every time he takes the field, every time he's taken the field so far, just, just looks totally lost out there. Willis has a 17 and a half percent sack rate so far in his limited NFL action. You know, Sam Hollow, who's on pace to take the most sacks in NFL history, is at 13.5 percent, just to give you an idea of you know how crazy 17 and a half percent is. So I do think uh, Levis will get the ball out, probably be a bit more accurate than, than Wills has been. But I don't want to start anyone in the passing game. That includes DeAndre Hopkins, who, you know, has looked washed anyways. Uh, Traylon Burks is going to be back this week, which, you know, can't help Hopkins target share. So for me, it's like reluctantly start Derrick Henry and hope he falls into the end zone and otherwise just just avoid this Titans offense. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We know that Will Levis might be better than Malik Willis can't be worse is basically how he's heading in. But you know, it's worth noting that he didn't beat out Malik Willis for the backup job heading into the season. So we'll see where this goes. I agree with trying to be out even looking beyond this week. I recently dropped Chiga Conquo in my tight end premium FFPC main event league to pick up Michael Mayer off of waivers. So it's nice to just be out on pretty much everything in this Tennessee offense. I think that one player that might be interesting this week, if you're looking deep for a running back, is Tajay Spears, because what this team can do to try to help a quarterback in his first start is run the ball a lot and shorten the pass attempts. And I think Tajay Spears could play a significant role in both of those things. You know, we yeah. can look at last week with the Bears setting up Tyson Bajant to basically only throw short passes. If Tennessee does anything along those lines this week, Ty J Spears should be a central figure in such a plan. So again, not somebody that you want to put in over a running back that's been helping you out. But if you're scrounging, if you're in trouble, if you're like, should I start Ty J Spears or Pierre Strong this week? Uh, Ty J Spears has some upside, I think. Yeah, and I mean, Spears has been awesome this season on a you know, per-touch basis, efficiency-wise, looking at all the advanced metrics. He's someone, I mean, if even if you're not starting him this week, go ahead and try to trade for him because, I mean, you know, Derek Henry has been the subject of trade rumors. The trade deadline is coming up next week. If you know if that happens, Spears becomes like an RB2 instantly. And even if it doesn't, this Titans team that you know, isn't going anywhere coming off the bye week, maybe they even look to increase Spears' role a bit, you know, coming out of the bye. So um, he's definitely someone I'd be I'd be looking to acquire right now. And there are still spots where he's available on waivers. Like I would take, I would rather have him than guys like um, Justice Hill, than Royce Freeman, uh, than anybody else in the Rams backfield. Maybe Daryl Henderson over Spears because he's easier to start right now. But if you don't need to start right now, I think Spears yeah. is even a better asset than Daryl Henderson. You know, all, all the other running backs in that range that you're not happy to start right now. I would much rather just dump those guys for Ty J Spears. 
Yeah, I agree. Totally. And if you're playing in Dynasty, Herms put Tajay Spears in his Dynasty spotlight this week, talked about trying to go ahead and acquire him because, you know, obviously anybody playing Dynasty already sees the upside if they have Tajay Spears on their line, on their roster. But whether Derrick Henry gets traded or not, Tajay Spears is probably in a pretty good position to start at least at the beginning of next year, if not at some point before the season ends. So he should be heading upward over the next few months in dynasty value. Somebody else who might be heading upward very soon, Jared, is Kyler Murray. We talked about some negative injury situations, but Kyler Murray put in his first full practice of the season on Wednesday. It's a it's a nice development. Yeah, and I think you know, we still don't expect Kyler to play this week. Ian Rapport said this past Sunday that week 10 was most likely for Kyler with week nine as an, you know, an outside possibility, um, which, which makes sense, right? I mean, he's coming off a knee injury, he's learning a brand new offense that he hasn't, you know, gotten any reps in prior to this past week. So I think, you know, a full week of practice this week, maybe a full week next week. I do think week nine looks more possible now after this full practice on Wednesday. So again, I think as we said last week, Kyler is definitely worth stashing now if you're a fantasy team, you know, without one of those top, you know, five or six quarterbacks that's kind of locked in as a weekly starter. Obviously going to be difficult to start him right away. They play Cleveland in week nine. So especially difficult to start Kyler Murray in that one, but stashing him on your bench as your second quarterback right now, doesn't seem like a bad idea. And the impending return of Kyler Murray, whenever it does happen, makes Marquise Brown an even more attractive mm-hmm. buy. He's all, he's already been a guy who's been getting good opportunity. Hasn't really been turning it into fantasy production at the same level yet, which is the kind of guy we're looking for when we're buying players. Another Cardinal that's a good pickup this week and became a good pickup during the week is Trey McBride, the tight end, had already seen his usage pick up some, and it hadn't quite gotten to the point of being attractive yet, but he went from 28.4% route participation over the first five games to 48%, 51% the past two. Again, that's a level where you're like, ah, I need more than that before I can use you. Now Zach Ertz is on IR though. So that means we get at least four games of Trey McBride as the lead tight end here for a team that's thrown the fourth most tight end targets, fifth most tight end reception so far, 11th most PPR points, Jared. And I think the switch from the Ertz McBride split to all McBride or, you know, McBride taking on at least most of what they were sharing before really could make that fantasy production come in a lot more closely to the opportunity. For sure. I, I do think you're probably going to see Jeff Swaim on the field a, a bit more than we'd like to this week. But I, I do think McBride, you know, he's he's by default going to have to play a lot more, run a lot, lot more pass routes. You should see more targets. And McBride, I didn't even realize this until I, until I started digging into him for my uh, usage article that, that went up yesterday. He's been super efficient this year on, you know, somewhat limited work among 34 tight ends with 15 plus targets this season. McBride ranks eighth in yards per target, second in yards per route, eighth in PFF receiving grade. That's all way up from last year as a rookie. He really was one of the least efficient tight ends in the NFL. So it does look like he's taken um, a step forward in year two, which you know is not a surprise, especially at tight end. And now, as you said, you know he he has an opportunity to carve out a really big role, you know, in, in a position where it's tough to find volume. Like McBride could be, you know, a tight end that's you know top ten in terms of targets over the next month. Of course, the fact that he hasn't been able to push past a 34-year-old Zachary that's coming off an ACL tear could also mean that he hasn't quite developed like we would want him to, but it could also be you know, a, a bad coaching decision. We're about to see on that front. Another measure of his how he's better in the yardage categories, Zach Ertz has actually averaged a deeper 
average target depth so far this year, 7.7 yards versus McBride's 6.3. But check these out, Jared. Zach Ertz, 7.7 A dot. He's averaging 6.9 yards per catch. So he's not even averaging the, you know, like catching the ball where it's being thrown to him. Trey McBride, 6.3 yard A dot, 11.3 yards per catch. So the difference in the potential yardage efficiency per catch is enormous. So even if we don't get a hundred percent of those Cardinals tight end targets going to McBride, there's room for more fantasy points. I like McBride in that range of like tight end 14 to 16 or 17. We'll see what he does with that, but I like starting him right there. I like him over Michael Mayer right away. Um, and I'm I'm curious to see what he does over these next couple yeah. games. Yeah, the matchup's bad this week against Baltimore, you know, just for the Cardinals offense in general and specifically against tight ends. We have McBride ranked a bit lower even than he might be going forward in, in better matchups. Better to stash right now and see what happens. But if you're in trouble, he's somebody to try to put on your team to see what happens over these next couple of weeks. Jared, we had a question come in from our pal, Dr. Jeff Budoff, about Jordan Love versus Matthew Stafford the rest of the season. And I read it thinking that the two aren't really close for me because I think Matthew Stafford has been playing much better than Jordan Love. I think he's been having bad touchdown luck so far, but mm -hmm. I always try to look at the numbers rather than just stick with my assumptions heading in. And I was surprised to see that Jordan Love is ahead of Matthew Stafford in expected fantasy points, according to PFF per game so far. Jordan Love does run. He does throw deep. He doesn't throw deep very well. So I still, I'm not in favor of Jordan Love. I don't feel good about Jordan Love going forward. I have to, I guess, begrudgingly acknowledge that he's been doing fine on expected fantasy points so far, and maybe he's fine for you the rest of the way. He's been doing fine on actual fantasy points so far too, you know, which is surprising. It's not something I'm going to bet on going forward. Listen, I, I like the expected fantasy points and the usage and all that stuff. Sometimes you just have to, you know, watch the games and just, you know, look and see who's the better football player. And that's clearly Matt Stafford. I mean, just look at PFF passing grades. Matt, Matt Stafford's seventh in PFF passing grades. You know, he, he continues to, I think, play better than how he's produced in fantasy. Jordan Love is 24th in PFF passing grade. I'm a little less optimistic about Stafford uh, now than I was a couple of weeks ago, just because we, we've seen the Rams for whatever reason, go run heavier um, than they were early in the season. You know, last week, Despite Kyron Williams' absence, the Rams were 29th in pass rate over expected. And even over the last four weeks, they're 26th in pass rate over expected. So that's kind of dampened my enthusiasm for Stafford a little bit. Love doesn't beat Stafford there either, though, though, because the, the Packers are a run leading offense. They're 17th in pass rate over expected. They're also a slow offense. They're 24th in pace. They're 29th in place per game. So it's still Stafford for me, um, even if the you know, gap isn't as big as I might have thought it was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it is for me as well. Two weeks ago, I was like, all right, Stafford's been throwing the ball a ton. He's been unlucky on touchdowns. Kyron Williams just went down. They're going to throw the ball 50 times a game going forward. Here we go. And it hasn't happened. It's gone the opposite direction. They've gone run heavy with backup running backs. And they're running the ball a lot near the goal line, which doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense when you have Stafford plus good performing wide receivers. But it's worked out, I guess, maybe Part of it is their offensive line being better than we expected. So it's still Stafford for me between them, mostly because I don't believe in Jordan Love. I mentioned he's been throwing deep poorly. He ranks fifth among starting quarterbacks in percentage of attempts thrown 20 plus yards downfield, according to PFF. But he ranks 32nd among 35 qualifiers in deep completion rate. He's worst in that group in deep passing grade by a pretty wide margin. 
And this is a non-Jordan Love note, but guess who's second worst in that category, Jared? It's interesting. Deep passing grade. Um, I don't know. Matt Stafford. Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah. Well, when you're trying to throw it to MVS and Watson, that's going gonna, gonna to be tough. Yes. I don't think that's a takeaway, like worry about Patrick Mahomes going forward, but it is one of those notes like, oh, maybe that's why we've gotten some games that haven't been classic Patrick Mahomes, but we'll talk more about them in a few minutes. Anyway, overall, it's a reason to be wary of Jordan Love. I say if there's a trade opportunity where you're giving Jordan Love plus something to get Matthew Stafford plus something, still a move I would like to do that I think has a potential to upgrade that other spot. Bijan Robinson needs an upgrade going forward. And <laughs> The situation with him against the Bucks last week is weird in so many ways, and it's like each day makes it weird in a different way. Obviously, on Sunday, everybody was flipping out. Why isn't he on the field? Arthur Smith sucks. He's trying to kill my fantasy team. Then it came out that Bijan Robinson had this headache that he was trying to work through but just wasn't working with him. And my takeaway from that on game day was like, okay, maybe the coach made the right call here. He's watching out for his player. He just put him aside, said, we're doing all right. We can go without you. You make sure you get healthy. Then, of course, as always happens when people talk to Arthur Smith, he just acts like a dick. And he's like, I don't care about your fantasy team. Maybe I should just go ahead and broadcast everything I'm going to do to the other sideline every game just so I don't hurt anybody's feelings. How about if you just say, he had a headache. It made sense that day. Sometimes it's going to be like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> like That's all you have to do. You don't have to be a jerk and act like fantasy players are making football worse. Like if that's your mindset, then you totally don't get why everybody in the league is making millions of dollars right now. The whole thing is just there for entertainment. The only reason it's huge is because so many of us have all of these other things building off of it that make us interested in the Bucks falcons game, which otherwise 12 people would care about. So I get fantasy people are annoying. Sports fans were annoying long before fantasy became big. So get over that. Just, you know, give us the information we're looking for and everybody will be much nicer to each other. For someone who says he, you know, doesn't care about fantasy football, Arthur Smith, talks about fantasy football, brings up fantasy football quite a bit. So it's, it's obviously on his mind, but um, you know, go, going forward, I don't think there's a takeaway here. I mean, initially the headache thing worried me. I just, I, I thought back to Terrell Davis, remember the Broncos running back who had migraine issues and, you know, I know it affected him in the one Super Bowl. So I, I was kind of worried about that for Bijan, but he's not even on the injury report this week. So it doesn't seem like something we need to worry about going forward. I would expect Bijan back in his, you know, regular role, this coming week, fascinating matchup this week too against the Titans, who are obviously you know this big pass funnel defense against the you know the run loving Falcons. So hopefully Arthur Smith is smart enough to throw at least a bit more in this matchup, which would be good for Bijan because you know that's where he's getting a lot of his fantasy value is in the passing game. Yeah, especially interesting matchup with I don't even know which side would be a revenge game in this one. Are are the Titans trying to avenge <laughs> Arthur Smith leaving? Would he be trying to avenge them? But you know, it seems like it was his springboard. I, I'm honestly, of course, just not going to adjust anything for that. But it's the, yeah. the connection makes it more interesting. And I agree. There's no takeaway. We'll see about Bijan. You know, unless it becomes a Percy Harvin situation where he misses more time with headaches, I would guess that we'll know more about these if it's an issue going into the game. But, you know, it's also part of the game. Sometimes these injuries pop up before the game, whether it's a headache or a hamstring or whatever. It's not going to be the last time. Elsewhere in a backfield where we're getting somebody back, Roshan Johnson practicing this week, probably coming back from his concussion this week, Jared. But he comes back to a different backfield. 
than he might have entered a couple weeks ago because Deontay Foreman just had a really big game. So it doesn't seem to me like we should expect Roshan Johnson to lead this backfield if he is ready. No, I don't think so. And I mean, that sucks. It was such a missed opportunity for Roshan. I do think if he hadn't had the concussion, you know, he, 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 he remember Roshan Johnson was playing as the RB2 behind Khalil Herbert and Deontay Foreman was a healthy scratch for like a month prior to, you know, these, these last couple games. Um, it's Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's tough to imagine Foreman not leading the backfield on Sunday night coming off that three touchdown game. I'd be careful with him though, not, you know, rank him or not start him too highly above some, some other guys who are safer bets for touches. I think, I mean, Foreman has 31 carries over the last two games, but Darrington Evans has 23 carries over those same two games. The bears have just been able to run it a crap ton because, you know, they've you know, either, you know, been in, you know, neutral game script or playing with a lead like they were for most of last week, last week's game. So, you know, that's just 57% of the running back carries for Adonta Foreman. I think that's kind of what I'd project on Sunday night with, you know, Roshan probably taking the rest of those. And you have the Bears eight and a half point underdogs against the Chargers. So if game script doesn't go in their favor, they're probably not going to be able to rack up another, you know, you know, 30 running back carries. It might be more like 20 running back carries. And if that's the case, you're talking, you know, something like 12 carries for Dante Foreman this week. And I do still think Roshan's going to play quite a bit in passing situations. I don't think Foreman has, you know, a great target projection. So the matchup's good. You know, the Chargers remain pretty weak against the run. So when Foreman gets the ball, he, he should continue to be pretty efficient. But I just think there, there's a chance that, you know, he only ends up with, you know, 12 or so touches in this game. Yeah, there's always that downside risk because Deontay Foreman is the kind of running back that's going to depend on game script. If they fall behind, he doesn't tend to get the touches. So he, he remains a, a player with upside in RB2 range, but be careful not to overrate him off of that huge game where there wasn't Roshan Johnson available and game script did go heavily in his favor. Roshan, you got to figure, is going to be Darrington Evans plus here. I mean, I, I don't think Darrington Evans has ever done anything that would make the team keep Roshan yeah. Johnson off the field. So I would assume assume he gets all of the stuff that went there, given that he was turning into the favored passing down back already um, early in the season. He's an interesting guy, low in RB3 range. You know, it would be more interesting if we weren't in this week with no teams on by. Yeah, for sure. I think you're um, considering Roshan with guys like Tajay Spears, uh, Pierre Strong, who are, you know, probably going to be you know the, the number two options in their backfield this week. Jordan Addison is the number one option in his passing game right now. And Jared... Uh, he, he's been a guy that we, you know, trying to figure out over the first, you know, third of the season, I think his performance against San Francisco, and you don't want to overrate one game positively or negatively, but to me, Jordan Addison now looks like the guy who is not going to deliver for you every week because no wide receiver gives you numbers every week, but he now looks to me like a player that you pretty much want to just play every week in your yeah. lineup and take the down ones so that you don't miss the big ones. Yeah. I mean, he is, I think to me, officially a must start for as long as Justin, Justin Jefferson is out. And then, you know, we'll kind of reevaluate once Jefferson returns. I still think Addison's you know, probably going to be, you know, I don't know, low end wide receiver two territory. I mean, he looked unbelievable on Monday night, obviously put up the big game despite missing some time in that game with cramps, despite Kirk Cousins missed him on uh, a touchdown in, in the back of the end zone. Addison drew a, a couple long, uh, defensive penalties as well. So his game could have been even bigger. Um, KJ Osborne continues to disappoint. K KJ Osborne has barely out-targeted Brandon Powell over the last two weeks. And you know, just a reminder that like opportunity is nice, but you still, you still got to be good to, you know, capitalize on an opportunity, which KJ Osborne is not doing. So, yeah, I mean, I, th I think Addison, um, well, at least two more weeks without Justin Jefferson, he's going to be, you know, a top 20 wide receiver in our rankings for, for both of these next two weeks. They always say opportunities are earned, right? That's why we like guys with big opportunity shares. It's not 
always the case, but it is more often than not the case. If a guy is getting big opportunity share, it's because he earned it. It's a reminder, I guess, that just because somebody important gets hurt and there are suddenly so many opportunities available, we do have to try to figure out how to divvy them up. And sometimes we just go ahead and assume all of this number is available and we just put it where it makes sense. But you still have to read who is actually going to earn it and make sure that you're not too... I don't know, overzealous on anybody who has shown in the past that maybe they don't deserve it. The Vikings backfield is also interesting to look at going forward. And this week, I'm trying hard not to use Alexander Madison, Jared, after what happened against San Francisco. And I'm trying even harder to sell him before it becomes so clear that we just shouldn't use him most weeks. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I don't know what you can get from Madison, but I, I he's definitely not a guy I'd be comfortable starting any week going forward. The, the, this backfield since Akers arrived, it's, it's been tough to read. Um, you know, we did have, it looked like Akers, role was growing in week five when, he, you know, his share of the rush attempts climbed. But then he kind of disappeared in week six before, you know, stepping back into a pretty prominent role this past week. So it definitely hasn't been this, you know, clear upward trend for acres and downward trend for Madison. Like if you're start picking between the two this week, it's still pretty easily Madison for me. Um, I looked at how these guys have performed since acres arrived and you know, there's not much separating them. Madison actually leads cam acres by a tad in pro football focus rushing grade. Madison leads in missed tackles forced per attempt. Acres has a slight lead in yards after contact per attempt. So it's not like acres has, you know, vastly, you know, outperformed Madison and deserves this, you know, big role going forward. Um, so I don't know, we'll, we'll have to continue to monitor. This honestly might be a backfield going forward. Where we just don't want to invest in it all because, you know, it might be something close to a 50, 50 split. It's been pretty ineffective in general. And we know the Vikings are, are going to remain one of the past heaviest offenses in the NFL. And that's why I would be selling and I will continue to sell if there's ever an opportunity, if there is a game where Madison gets more touches, because I'm not scared of missing out on whatever I give away by just selling out of the backfield. So, you know, you mentioned there's no trend over the past three games. We've seen two games where Alexander Madison only totaled 10 touches in between. He got a bunch more. He got 25 opportunities against the Bears. He ran for 2.4 yards per carry in that game. So the one high usage game, he didn't give them any reason to keep the work with him. And then the follow-up was the San Francisco game. You know, I don't know what it's going to be like work-wise going forward. It very well might just keep going up and down like this. If it is, that's another reason to try to get out of the whole situation. As far as I'm concerned, if you want to see who we would start over Alexander Madison this week, check your team Intel page. It'll know your particular scoring settings. It'll know exactly who you have available. And just one button over is the free agent finder. So you can see if there's even a running back available in your league that could compete for that spot. Jared, I think like if we're looking down where Alexander Madison is in the rankings, he's still ahead of these guys. But I think he's low enough that you could reasonably take a shot on somebody like Ty J Spears or Justice Hill in your lineup. Like we can't project enough touches for those guys to rank them ahead of him. But I wouldn't yeah. be shocked at all if either of those players outscores Alexander Madison this week. No, I wouldn't be shocked either. Um, it'd be tough for me to start those types over Madison because I just think I think Madison's touch floor is pretty close to those guys' touch ceilings. Right. So you're really banking on those other guys being a lot more efficient, which they probably will be. I'm still kind of a slave to volume. I guess I'm going to take a guy who I know is, you know, should at least get me, you know, 12, 12 plus touches, which I think Madison will this week. It's also a good matchup for these Vikings backs against the Packers. Pittsburgh got Deontay Johnson back in the lineup this week. He played nearly, he played about the same number of snaps as Allen Robinson, the wide receiver three, but he ran nearly as many routes as George Pickens, who is, of course, leading the team in both of those categories. 
I got no problem with Deontay Johnson leaving the field for run blocking reps. What do we make of this pass offense and specifically where George Pickens and Deontay Johnson fit now that they're both together on the field again? Yeah, I wrote about this one in my uh, usage article this week. George Pickens has broken out. It's already happened, right? I mean, he and I know a lot of this has come without Deontay Johnson. But you just look at some, you know, some of the underlying metrics. Yards per route run, he's 12th among 84 qualifying wide receivers. He's 20th among those 84 in PFF receiving grades. So, I mean, Pickens is good. I, th- I think that's that's kind of settled at this point. The question now is, you know, how the targets are going to be distributed. Are the Steelers going to go back to, you know, making Deontay Johnson the clear number one in terms of targets? That was not the case last week. George Pickens out-targeted Deontay Johnson 8-6. to six. And I, you know, get it was Deontay Johnson's first game back coming off the layoff. He did, you know, maybe run two or three fewer routes than he's going to Moving forward, I think there's a good chance that, you know, it's it's a 1A, 1B situation here. And, you know, some weeks that Pickens, you know, continues to out-target Deontay Johnson. If I'm picking between these two guys the rest of the season, I, I'd rather have George Pickens because, you know, his targets are more valuable. He gets more of those downfield looks. He's going to average more yards per target than De- Deontay Johnson is. So, you know, I think they both belong in wide receiver three range. I'd prefer Pickens among the two the rest of the way. Yeah, I agree. Not getting overly excited about either player, but I think you have to favor Pickens for the reasons you said. Their average target depths for this game alone, 9.8 for Johnson, which is a pretty solid number, 16.1 for Pickens. He's at 13.1 this season. Johnson's ADOTs have risen for three straight years, including this one. So he is working further downfield than he was earlier in his career, which is positive for him. So again, both guys, usable wide receiver threes. Pickens looks like the bet between them. Rashi Rice is looking like a better bet for fantasy lineups going forward. Jared, his weekly route participation has been interesting throughout the season, but it looks like it's it's trending up lately. So by week, he's gone 25%, 15%, 51%, 44%, 23%, 52%, and then a season high 63% last time out. So is it time to just put Rashi Rice on that wide receiver three fringe going forward in the rankings? Yeah, we're, we're, we're just about there. I mean, 63 is still lower than we'd like to see, right? I mean, he, I mean, Rashi Rice has been second among Chiefs wide receivers in routes, both of those last two games behind only, only Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, I, I think there's a good chance it continues to rise. And, you know, Rice continues to be super efficient. He's 10th among wide receivers in yards per route run. Um, and I think there still might be a buying opportunity here. I mean, you know, he is coming off a wide receiver 14 fantasy finish. He was wide receiver 31 the week before that. It's just an awesome matchup this week against Denver. I think like this could be like a real breakout spot for Rice in this matchup if he does get another boost in playing time against his Broncos secondary. So I would I would, you know, check in with the Rice owner in your league if you can buy him for like a low end wide receiver price tag. I, I would I, I would do that. We've talked before about how Chiefs wide receivers get overrated. I think this though is where it's okay to give the Patrick Mahomes boost. If you're looking down in that range where you're comparing Rashi Rice to guys like Gabe Davis um, and other, you know, inconsistent performers down there. I'd rather take Rice playing 55 plus percent of the snaps with Patrick Mahomes versus pretty much everybody else down there that is wavering week to week. And then if he does get up to 70 plus percent, 80 percent, then awesome. I've totally won there, but I think he's set up in a good position, especially in an offense that seems to be figuring it out over the past few weeks. Like they've just kind of moved along at an awkward pace versus Mm -hmm. what we've come to expect from the chiefs. But the past three weeks, we've seen the passing volume pick up some, we've seen the passing yardage pick up some, we've seen Travis Kelsey ball out the past couple games. We've seen 
uh, Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes develop their own handshake. We've got the look how annoying Jackson Mahomes is uh, video this week. So it feels like it's settling out and the Chiefs are figuring out how to be the Chiefs and Rashi Rice is looking like a yeah. bigger part of that. Yeah, I mean, I will say matchups against the Broncos and Chargers will, will make it look better. But I mean, I'm still buying this Chiefs offense going forward. I think it'll be better than what we saw early in the season when you kind of they were still figuring out the wide receiver core and you had Travis Kelsey banged up. I mean, I was just looking through our rankings. Like, is it crazy to say I'd rather have Rashi Rice than DeAndre Hopkins the rest of the league? I, I, I think I'd rather have Rice. Yeah, I don't think it's crazy at all. You talked about buying into the offense. We had our buy, sell, and hold candidates in the trade targets article. It comes out every Wednesday. But Jared, we can't put everybody in that article. Who didn't make it that you would like to either buy or sell here? Yeah, well, I, I pushed for buying Devonta Smith and got some pushback from you guys. I would still make that move. I mean, to, I'm just keeping this simple. Like He's a talented player. I fully believe in the player, and I obviously fully believe in this Eagles offense. And like Devonta Smith's still a full-time player. The target share is down 25.5% target share last year, down to 19%, 19.6% this year. I do think he'll get some rebound there, you know, maybe not all the way back to 25%. I do think he'll finish the season higher than 19%. Um, Devonta Smith's average depth of target is up significantly this year, 96 to 12.6. I think that's generally a good thing. It is probably going to make him a bit more volatile from week to week, which maybe helps explain why he's had, you know, a few down weeks in a row here. The last thing here is you look at uh, Devonta Smith's yards per target, 8.8 .8 as a rookie, 8.8 .8 last year, 7.7 this year. And I don't see any reason why, you know, we should expect his yards per target to, you know, drop by over a full yard. So I just think that that's going to rebound. I think there, there'll be games going forward where, you know, Smith is, you know, a more featured part of this offense. Um, you know, he's sitting wide receiver 29 right now in, PPR points per game. If you can get them, you know, for anywhere close to that type of price tag, I would, I would do it pretty easily. Yeah. I mean, I'll push back here, uh, not because I dislike Devonte Smith. I just, I think that he's going to stay around the area where he is. I don't think there's really much difference between him and Drake London, DJ Moore and Michael Pittman and Chris Godwin going forward. So he doesn't stand out to me as somebody who's going to dramatically outperform what he's been doing so far. And the, the issue for me is I, I don't see a reason for Philly to, push the target shares back in his favor, taking away from AJ Brown and Dallas Goddard has been more of a factor this year, just by being healthier than he was last year. So I think Devonte Smith's just kind of stuck in a range where yes, he's definitely going to have some good games mixed in. He's going to have probably a game or two where he is the lead target, but I don't think he's in as good a situation for that target share as he was last year. You're going to start to see defenses roll some more coverage over to AJ Brown, right? I mean, the guy's not going to go for 125 plus yards every game the rest of the season. I, mean, I think we just see these kind of swings in production throughout NFL seasons in general. And I just think it's going to swing back in, in Devonta Smith's favor pretty soon. He probably even this week, he's probably someone I'll be talking about as a, as a DFS play um, against Washington this week. Yeah, certainly a good spot for upside there. I would like to sell to Tonga Vailoa this week. We talked yeah. some about him, but he didn't make it into the article. He's coming off a down game against the Eagles. So that's never a great spot. But even with that, he's still QB six in total points and points per game. He's got the toughest remaining quarterback schedule by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. He's got negative scoring matchups each of the next two weeks, four quarterbacks against the Pats and at the Chiefs. Then the bye, which is obviously a negative spot when you're talking about a one starter position. Six negative scoring matchups among the final seven games. After that bye, he finishes the season against the Jets, against the Cowboys, at Baltimore. Those are three negative scoring spots for quarterbacks. And beyond that, Jared, 
I think it's just generally easier to replace quarterback scoring than it is other positions. So if you can trade a quarterback that somebody's excited about, it's easier to get a quarterback back who is fine, who is close enough, maybe pick up a streamer here or there where you need it. I would like to trade to a plus something from my team to get back, say, Dak Prescott and something better from somebody else's team. Yeah, I have two as my sell here, too. I don't know. Why, why didn't he make the article? We should probably ask uh, <laughs> Alex about that. I, I think I really think he's a really strong sound on. Of course, it always matters you know, how your team is constructed, right? Like if, if you're in a deeper league and you don't think you're going to be able to get another viable quarterback one and you know two is all you get, you, you probably can't sell them. But you said he's what quarterback six in fantasy points. I mean, you look at his weekly finishes. He has weekly finishes of quarterback one, quarterback three, and quarterback three. His other four games, he's quarterback 27, quarterback 18, quarterback 14, and quarterback 22. Um, so he's been you know super volatile. The quarterback 27, 18, and 14 finishes were in negative matchups, according to our adjusted fantasy points allowed numbers. Eight of Tua's nine remaining games, not counting week 18, are negative quarterback matchups. As you said, it's the toughest remaining quarterback schedule by a pretty big margin. And you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell dealing with injuries right now. I think Tua is more like a low-end quarterback one the rest of the way. He's going to have spike weeks, but he's I think he's going to have a lot more weeks where he's you know outside the top 15 quarterbacks and fantasy points. Yeah, I would not panic and just unload him for whatever you can get right now, but see if there are people who look at his fantasy points and don't look at the injury report and know that Tyreek Hill's hurting this week and Jalen Waddle's hurting this week. You can check the weekly trade targets article on DraftSharks.com to see who did make it in there. And even if none of the players that we actually wrote up affect your roster or affect your decisions, Frankly, it's worth it just to check out the gigantic chart at the top of the article that only our guy Alex can put together. We've got player valuations, comparing our rankings with the market, looking for opportunities to buy and sell players. Jared, let's close this out by looking ahead to week nine for a streaming D. And for me, the, the standout is the Patriots. They're 29% rostered on Yahoo as of this morning. And that number could even drop further because they've got that matchup with Miami. But if the wide receivers are out, I mean, this might even be a playable week in week eight, probably wouldn't go that far. But beyond that, they're home for Washington in week nine. They're facing the Colts in Germany in week 10. If it makes sense to hold the Pats through a week 11 bye, then they're at the Giants in week 12. So you could have a defense for three of four weeks beyond week eight if you grab them now. For sure. The, the Patriots are one where I would drop a you know bench wide receiver or you know a tight end to to grab New England and stash them this week. I wouldn't want, want to start them this week, but you know, just for that week nine matchup and those few matchups beyond that, I think that it's worth rostering two defenses behind New England. I mean, Vegas sticks out to me a little bit. I probably wouldn't go as far as you know dropping any valuable bench player to stash Vegas this week, but just looking ahead, I think you know Vegas gets the Giants. If you're starting Vegas, I think you want Daniel Jones back under center. For the Giants, I was looking at, you know, Jones's sack rate versus Tyrod Taylor's sack rate. Pretty big difference, right? I mean, the Giants' O-line still sucks, but there is something to, you know, quarterbacks owning their own sack stats. And I think, you know, Jones is a better sack matchup. I do think he'll be back by the time week nine rolls around. He might even be back this week. So I do think Vegas, um, who has, you know, some pass rush, is a pretty decent defense play for week nine. Giants also might get left tackle on Andrew Thomas back. So we'll see what impact that has on the sack rate heading in there as well. Check the rankings on DraftSharks.com for... Or week eight or week nine, both are available right now. You can find more options for defense or whatever other position you're looking for help at. 
Both will continue to be updated as needed, along with our rest of season rankings. You can find all of those displayed in the free agent finder, which is sortable by all those categories and more. You can look at specific matchups for this week and next week, along with whatever other stat really that you want to find to compare the players available. Why do we have all these tools? Why do we constantly update those projections? It's because we want to help you win your season. 